Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps I should begin by saying that unlike most speakers who have preceded me and probably most speakers who will follow me, I have been in my professional life a very private person. And most of my life doing science, I have been, I could accurately describe, as a wanderer in the lonely byways of science. Consequently, what I have to say may be quite different and with quite different emphasis from what others have said this morning and this afternoon. It is naturally a source of satisfaction and pleasure if one is selected for a special recognition and a special honor. The satisfaction derives from the fact that one's friends consider him, consider him worthy of the honor and the recognition. And the pleasure one derives largely from the fact that one's friends are pleased. I want to consider the larger issue of the sources of satisfaction for a scientist in a life devoted to scholarly endeavor. Perhaps the larger issue of the sources of satisfaction for a scientist in a life devoted to scholarly endeavor. Perhaps one should eliminate that rewards of scholarship consist in celebrity and in public honors. The Supreme Magisters of Castellia in Hermann Hussey's glass bead game, I might perhaps remind you that uh, the glass bead game was awarded the Nobel Prize for its author, uh, Hermann Hesse, some 20 or more years ago. The Supreme Magisters of Castellia had learned to renounce public honors. In fact, they were forbidden to accept any. I suppose that one does renounce them in the end. At least one feels that one ought to transcend them. But the matter is not as simple as that. None of us are so immune to human sensibilities that we are not all, to some extent, sensitive to the approval uh, uh, by our colleagues whom we respect. And I am sure that all of us hope, each in his or her own way, that posterity will assign to us our due and humble places as long as we persist and persevere at the limits of our capabilities. But posterity can be harsh. Here, for example, is John Ruskin, a distinguished art critic of the 19th century, writing on the English painter Sir Joshua Reynolds. Why did not Sir Joshua, or could not, or would not Sir Joshua paint Madonna's? Yet, while we acknowledge the discretion 
and simple-heartedness of these men. We have to remember that amiable discretion is not the highest virtue, nor to please the frivolous the best success. There is probably some strange weakness in the painter and some fatal error in the age when in thinking over the examples of their greatest work for some type of culminating loveliness or veracity. We remember no expression either of religion or heroism, and instead of reverently naming a Madonna di San Sisto, can only whisper modestly Mrs. Pelham feeding chickens. If one recognizes that one can never come to painting a Madonna, what then are the satisfactions and the rewards? I suppose that one must count them in those brief moments of sun, sudden insight which occur to one on rare occasions. One may never come to painting a Madonna, but perhaps in capturing on canvas the rugged lines in the face of Mrs. Pelham, etched by the toils of her life, the painter may have experienced a sudden insight into the sadness of the human condition, which he may cherish all his life. And so it is in all other walks of creative effort. While one may grant that rare moments of illumination, which a scientist experiences during the course of his or her life, are the precious rewards, one is still troubled for one may ask, is he condemned? Is a person condemned to live only in the memories of his her, her past moments of illumination? The answer, it seems to me, is that one is not to be so condemned. One must seek in one's enlarged and refined perception a source for quiet contemplation in other words, in the words of Wordsworth, voyage through strange seas of thought alone. Words, Wordsworth wrote this line contemplating the statue of Isaac Newton in the anti-chapel of Trinity College in Cambridge. And this is what he wrote, where the statue stands of Newton with his prism and his silent face, the marble index of a mind forever voyaging through strange seas of thought alone. Whether a scientist, during the course of his life, attains the maturity to attain a state of mind voyaging through strange seas of thought alone depends very much on his discipline. And he succeeds, in the end, who can achieve that state of mind to voyage through strange seas of thought alone. Thank you.